0: Hi, I'm Hal Price, Senior Vice President for Sales, Marketing, and Communications with Aegis Therapies. As we have discussed in our PDPM podcast series covering the patient-driven payment model, CMS is also introducing a series of regulatory and reimbursement changes in home health, the patient-driven groupings model, or PDGM. To support a successful shift to this new model, Aegis has been working to ensure that we prepare and support our customers, patients, and employees through the transition to PDGM occurring on January 1, 2020. Today, we are launching the PDGM podcast series to support this change and provide ongoing information and strategies for success in this new environment. Today, I am joined by Mark Besch, Chief Clinical Officer for Aegis Therapies, and Don Greaves, Vice President of the Home Services Division of Aegis Therapies at Home with Aegis. Don and Mark, thanks very much for joining me today. And Mark, I'm going to start out with the first question going to you. Could you provide a little bit of information about what the rationale was behind the decision that CMS made to go and launch this series of changes?
1: Sure. Um, uh, you know, it's interesting how in your introduction you made a reference to PDPM, the patient-driven payment model that's being implemented in SNPs. And um, the first thing I wanna do for our audience today is just point out that unlike PDPM, the home health payment reform is really being driven by a congressional mandate. Uh, In the Balanced Budget Act of 2018, uh, Congress actually uh, mandated some specific changes that would be required in the home health reimbursement model and that those changes needed to be implemented uh, by Jan- on or before January 1st of 2020. So, um, so we're dealing with a, a model here that really is mandated by Congress. Um, the the mo- obviously the model, is the patient-driven groupings model. So, from a CMS perspective, they really feel like it it accomplishes three principles or or three things. Number one is to increase the quality of care for beneficiaries. Number two, to improve payment accuracy for home health services, and number three, to promote fair compensation for home health agencies. So it it uh, it addresses the compensation, the 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 uh, the dollars, if you will, and, but also the accuracy uh, of payment. Um, so some key some key descriptions of this new Model are number one, it continues the stated objective from CMS to move payment from focused on volume to focused on value. And the specific uh, example of that um, for the patient-driven groupings model is that it eliminates the therapy thresholds from being drivers of reimbursement. So today, as the audience is well aware, There's different therapy thresholds that drive different levels of reimbursement. And CMS wanted to move away from that volume concept. And so PDGM totally eliminates therapy visits from payment consideration. PDGM takes the 60-day episode of care and breaks that into 30-day units of payment. PDGM payment, because it eliminates the therapy thresholds, is based on categories or groups of patient characteristics. Um, With respect to the the LUPA, the low utilization payment, um, it changes the thresholds for the LUPA. And hopefully we'll have a chance to describe some of these uh, these categories in in future podcasts. While PDGM is in contrast to PDPM in many ways, one thing that they have in common is that they are to be implemented in a budget-neutral methodology. And uh, again, the interesting thing about PDGM is that budget neutrality was also part of the congressional mandate. What that means essentially is overall, in aggregate, CMS does not have an objective to spend less money uh, to pay to providers for care, but rather to change the way the payment amounts are determined. So that budget neutrality is important in aggregate, but um, certainly on an individual provider level, um, that may vary. And then finally, uh, again, uh, all, all signs point to January 1. 2020 as the implementation date that was in the congressional um, mandate as well. So, I think those are some of the key highlights, Hal.
0: All right. So, Don, if you could do a couple things for us. Uh, provide some additional overview about uh, the changes, any uh, additional perspective in addition to Mark's comments, but very specifically, if you could talk about how the patients will be categorized within the new system.
2: Sure, Hal. Happy to. Um, One comment as a follow-up to um, what Mark was saying is from the budget-neutral perspective, right, um, the the groupings and the way the um, characteristics feed into the payment model under the new model um, essentially is a little bit of a redistribution of dollars. Um, So when CMS was looking at resource utilization, um, they determined that um, patients with higher level nursing needs in the current reimbursement model may not be getting the reimbursement needed to support the level of care to be delivered. Um, and so um, in the if for the patients with therapy needs, that perhaps there was a little too much waiting towards that direction. So, and we can cover this in a future podcast, but how they cal- how they calculated that resource utilization and cost of care um, is part of what, is underlying in the development of this payment model shift and the impact. Um, There are are five primary characteristics that develop the HHRG or the Home Health Resource Group that will determine payment for the individual patient. With this model, there's the possibility of 432 different combinations um, of that HHRG. So those characteristics that feed into that are admission source, which can either be uh, a community admission, so uh, not discharged from an institution but admitted directly from the community, or an institutional admission. And an institutional admission is defined as a discharge from an acute or um, post-acute setting within the last 14 days prior to the admission to home health. So that's the admission source piece. Combined with the admission source, you can also be early in the episode or you can be a late payment period. So early payment period um, is the first 30 days. All subsequent 30-day payment periods are, are deemed late by CMS. So you can be community early, community late, institutional early, or institutional late within that particular characteristic. Next is the clinical grouping. Um, the clinical grouping comes from the principal diagnosis. And so you won't be determining yourself, I think, it's this clinical grouping. The diagnosis that is the primary diagnosis identified on the claim for that particular episode of care for that individual is what will drive the clinical grouping. And there are 12 clinical groupings. Um, I won't read each of them to you, but two of the groupings are primarily, um, driven by the need for rehabilitation. That's neural rehab and musculoskeletal rehab. The remaining groupings, um, are, uh, driven by nursing need. So things like complex nursing, um, behavioral health. There are multiple MMTA categories. So medication management, teaching and assessment is broken down into seven categories. Um, And so that feeds into the payment model, determining what the clinical need of that patient will be. Um, The the next component is the functional impairment level. And similar to today, um, there will be a low, medium, or high functional impairment. Um, So in today's model, you get a clinical score, you get a functional score, you get a service score. The service score, as we discussed, is going away, um, because the service score was the therapy threshold component. Um, But the new model um, does have a clinical component, the clinical grouping. It has a functional component, again, as we said, low, medium, high. The difference in the functional impairment level component is grooming um, will now feed into that functional impairment level determination, as well as... Risk for rehospitalization. Um, so that rehospitalization risk actually feeds into the score for functional impairment falling into low, medium, or high. The last area is the comorbidity adjustment. And the comorbidity adjustment comes from the secondary diagnoses that is reported on the claim. So again, it's being determined by the claims data that, that you'll be reporting to CMS. It's going to be really important that we get those comorbidities accurately captured. Um, for comorbidity, there is a none, low, or high component, um, and how those groups are subgrouped together um, could be the subject of an entire podcast, but just at, at a higher level, um, if you have low comorbidity, it means that you have one of the comorbidities that CMS has decided um, adds to the resource cost of providing care. So that resource cost then ties to additional reimbursement with that particular comorbidity, and that's the, the bump for low comorbidity adjustment. For high, you have to have um, two comorbidities that interact. So the comorbidities are broken into subgroups and you have to have comorbidities that are determined by CMS to to interact, again, driving increased resource utilization to provide the care, which is then reflected in the payment. So that's how you get to that HHRG, or the payment that you will receive for the 30-day payment period. Um, It's also important to note that the 60-day episode remains the same, so there's no change in the timing of when OASIS will be completed. Um, The OASIS is still a start of care um, and and end of care event um, within that 60 day time period or research um, at the end of that 60 days. So the payment periods are what's broken into the 30 day period.
0: Well, a lot of change is coming. Mark, could you give us a little bit of insight as to what Aegis is doing to go and help our customers to prepare for them?
1: Sure, Hal. Um, I would say number one is, um, is education. Um, obviously, uh, we and others have spent a great deal of time studying the information that is available, uh, that what we know today. So education for our staff, our managers and our therapists, so they understand the key components, they understand how the therapy visits no longer will contribute to determining reimbursements, and, but rather understand what the characteristics are. And, and that leads me to you know, additionally, focusing on because of those characteristics, and because uh, there many of them are drawn uh, from uh, the OASIS and, uh, and a, a, information that therapists can help contribute this concept of uh, coding and care collaboration has been a big focus for our uh, uh, educational efforts with our staff. In other words, what role does the therapist play potentially in coding? And, uh, and that could be uh, an opinion or input uh, relative to that key diagnosis code uh, that Dawn talked about. Uh, it certainly could be input Uh, in terms of the functional level scoring, those items from the OASIS that uh, therapists address uh, in their evaluations and in their treatment interventions. And so while therapists may not be scoring the OASIS, if you will, or doing the admission, um, they certainly should have input. And so that collaboration, that much closer communication uh, with the agency staff for OASIS completion uh, becomes really, really heightened. Uh, And in terms of the actual care delivery, uh, helping our therapists understand uh, what might change from a delivery perspective. So an example there is we we are reintroducing and emphasizing our clinical pathways uh, for therapists, pathways that talk about Uh, functional milestones that patients should achieve as they approach their uh, end of care discharge, and and how those functional milestones translate uh, across uh, different environments, um, including obviously uh, patients who are at home. Um, The degree to which um, we can uh, help therapists in their care plan development in determining and projecting the number of visits they will do while visits, as we've already uh, explained, don't drive reimbursement, it's still going to be important for therapists to have a plan um, to anticipate a number of visits that they'll be delivering. It's important from a scheduling perspective and important uh, from a care delivery perspective. So uh, those are just some of the care delivery. Uh, strategies uh, that we are working on, uh, all based around education and helping therapists understand how therapy delivery might change uh, under PDGM. So I think those are some of the highlights, Hal.
0: Thanks, Mark. So Dawn, one last question today. Um, As as the industry is getting ready for January 1st, what kind of resources has CMS provided to go and provide uh, different levels of support?
2: There are are multiple resources available, um, and they're all conveniently located on a page called the Home Health Patient Driven Groupings Model um, on the CMS site. Um, We can um, put a a link to that on our show notes, and we'll also make that available as a link on our resource center um, for folks to be able to easily connect to the tools that are out there. Um, A couple of important ones to point out, if you have not already gone out uh, and looked at the IMPACT file. Um, CMS produced an IMPACT file, and that IMPACT file um, has every agency listed um, that was submitting data um, that would qualify them to participate in 2017, Um, so sufficient volume to go into the sample size in 2017. And that is what CMS utilized to develop um, the resources needed, right? The the that 2017 data set is what they utilized to develop the reimbursement model that's that we will be um, introducing or be introduced to January 1st. Um, so each agency is listed by CCN number, and um, the, the components that it breaks down for you is um, whether you fall in the highest quartile of therapy provision of services, which they deem as the first quartile, um, subsequently that's the lowest quartile of nursing provision of services, um, all the way up to the fourth quartile, which is the Um, top provision of nursing services and then subsequently lower uh, utilization of therapy services. Um, And that's based on the visit ratio between nursing and therapy. So where you fall um, in the delivery of nursing versus therapy services. It also um, illuminates how many 30-day periods based on the data that, that again, you provided in 2017, um, you would experience under the new payment model versus the 60-day episodes that, that you experienced today. It gives the total PDGM um, dollar reimbursement that would be ex- expected, um, and compares that to the PPS reimbursement that was received. Um, and so then you, it allows you to see the variance in what that payment would be. And for some agencies, it's, it's a bump up. Um, for a, other agencies, it's a bump down. And again, that's all driven by those patient characteristics that we discussed. Um, we will do a deeper dive into the implications of the other patient characteristics that are not um, visible through the impact file. Um, because there's much more to be aware of in how your agency payment would be impact um, than the nursing-to-therapy visit ratio and the number of 30-day periods. So that impact um, file is is an important tool. The other tool I'd like to point out is the interactive grouper tool. And um, the interactive grouper tool actually allows you to better experience the characteristics of the model. And by that I mean it allows you to enter um, into an Excel uh, spreadsheet um, the patient characteristics that, uh, of a patient. You could choose a patient that you have today on caseload. Um, it allows you to enter the number of visits that were delivered, the primary uh, diagnosis, comorbidities, all of the functional scoring measures, rehospitalization rate, Um, so whether it was early um, or late, or institutional or community, so comorbidities is calculated in there as well. So you can enter an individual patient, and you can see, it'll calculate for you what the 30-day payment would be for that patient consisting of all of those characteristics. Behind the file, there are additional tabs that lists for you all of the combinations of the, the case mix um, and with the, the subsequent lupa that's tied to that case mix. Um, it also lists for you all diagnoses that crosswalk into the first diagnoses, as well as the comorbidity diagnoses and how they subgroup together. So it's a good, if you're a hands-on learner, uh, it's a good interactive way to further kind of explore understand um the, how the model and the and the pieces fit together. Um, and one one thing about the diagnosis, the primary diagnosis I wanted to comment on, and you know as as Mark said, collaboration between the disciplines to that primary diagnosis and to the comorbidities is going to be really important um, to be sure that we're accurate in the coding that goes in. But also um, from the standpoint of therapists understanding the primary diagnosis and documenting to the primary diagnosis. One of the areas that CMS has scrutinized um, in, in today's world, as we know, is the therapy thresholds. And they will use high therapy utilization of an agency as a reason to, you know, to pull to pull some charts and, and take a look at the utilization. Um, so looking for Is it substantiated? Is that care substantiated? That's one of their triggers. In the new world, um, I think that one of those triggers will be the diagnosis grouping. Because the clinical diagnoses um, groupings are worth varying amounts, I think they will be looking at folks who have a change or what's perceived as a change um, into higher uh, reimbursing clinical categories as well as those comorbidities. Since two of the clinical categories are driven by therapy utilization, right, as the primary reason for the episode, and the remainder are driven by nursing utilization, we certainly know that those patients, those high nursing need patients, have therapy needs as well. But we're going to also need to know that our therapists are documenting their care and the purpose of their care to that primary diagnosis. Um, so that those things tie together and tell that complete story.
0: Thank you, Dawn, and thank you, Mark, for your time today. We appreciate all the information you've provided to us and would like to thank our listening audience for tuning in. And please be on the lookout for our next podcast, which will be coming up shortly, where we will be looking into various components that make up the plan in a more detailed fashion and discussing strategies for success as we enter the new payment model. Thank you.